You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Bryce. Hi, I'm Christy. And you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. I couldn't think of two more different stories. In the recent award-winning Nomadland, Fern, played by Frances McDormand, is grieving a life that's been ripped away from her. When the gypsum plant in her Nevada hometown closes, the town of Empire quite literally closes with it. In six months, its entire zip code is eliminated. Meanwhile, Fern's husband dies, leaving her completely alone and homeless. Hitting the road in search of work as a seasonal employee at an Amazon center, Fern starts living in her van, eventually getting involved with a group of modern nomads, although she inevitably ends up alone again, traversing the American landscape. Let's take a listen to the movie trailer. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. I and they sometimes call you nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. to Badland Spa. What the nomads are doing is not that different than what the pioneers did. Hey, Fern! Gotta make the hole bigger. <laughs> I think Fern's part of an American tradition. Oh, he's gonna come right through the glass. My dad used to say, what's remembered lives. I maybe spent too much of my life Fern! just remembering. things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. I've met hundreds of people out here, and I don't ever say a final goodbye. Let's just say, I'll, I'll see you down the road. And I do. I see them again. And I can be certain in my heart, I'll see you again.
In a completely different world, another set of nomads, Bryce Lung and Christy Shen, co-founders of the Millennial Revolution platform, decided that they no longer wanted to toil away at a stressful, hateful job for 30 to 40 years to pay off a massive mortgage, only to die of a heart attack at their desks or be laid off without a pension. So instead of drowning in debt to buy a house in one of the most expensive cities in Canada, they rented and invested instead. For them, going against the status quo totally paid off. They managed to build a seven-figure portfolio, which has allowed them to retire in their 30s and travel the world. Two sets of nomads with completely different stories and motivations. Yet are there similarities? Are there common threads that unite the story of what it means to be homeless in the ever-shifting world of today? Bryce Lung and Christy Shen are the writers behind Millennial Revolution. Their most recent book is Quit Like a Millionaire, No Gimmicks, Luck, or Trust Fund Required. Bryce and Christy, welcome to Earn and Invest. Bryce, I want to start with you. I want to go back to the book title, Quit Like a Millionaire, No Gimmicks, Luck, or Trust Fund Required. Is the nomadic life a gimmick? I mean, for otherwise wealthy people who have money, could it be classified as so? I think that Initially, people thought that it might be because like a lot of the feedback that we got from our like, we didn't intend to quit and then go travel nomadically to some in some ways, we kind of stumbled across that as like a permanent lifestyle. And up till like, you know, last year, people were kind of saying, well, that's great for you because you don't have responsibilities and you guys have everything in two backpacks. I can't do that because my job is not remote. I, I can't take my kids with me. My wife hate, will hate it. This pandemic has really kind of shown you that us that, yeah, it's a lot more like doable than people think because we were all forced to try to work remotely or and a lot of a lot of people moved out of like, you know, city centers into like, you know, suburbs or like rural areas. So before where what where maybe people thought that it would have been a gimmick that that they couldn't do. I think this year we really found out that it's a lot more doable than people thought it was. So in in a certain sense, maybe if it started off the beginning, it's not now anymore. Maybe you guys just, you know, had the foresight to see what was going to happen in the future and we're ahead of the curve. Sure. Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah, I'll take that credit. It's interesting that this no that Nomadland came off after this, and we were vaguely aware of this group of, of, of this group of nomads before all of this. I encountered some people that were doing like the van living thing, but I had no idea that the that the that, that the group was so big and how similar that they actually see view life as as we did. Christy, let's talk about this a little more. You wrote a blog post about Nomadland, which spurred me to start this conversation. And you started it with a Bob Wells quote. And it's funny because as I'm reading this quote, I'm not sure if it's talking about the nomadic life or the financially independent life. Let me read it to you. You're going to give away the 60 best prime years of your life for the 20 poorest years of your health. Why did that connect with you so much? Yeah. So I actually found this quote after I read the movie and I was just so amazed that there was this community. I started researching a lot um, into the community and researching about their leader, who is like the godfather of Van Living. That sounds kind of a little familiar for those who are familiar <laughs> with the godfather of Phi, J.L. Collins. So the, the first article that I read about him was a CBC article and covering how he actually kind of came about to become a nomad. That article, he was talking about how, so initially he was interested in traveling and becoming a nomad, but at one point he settled down with his wife because she was actually more of a, you know, roots person. She wants to stay in one place and he actually bought a house. And then in order to pay for all the expenses that came with the house, he had to get a job and he had to work and he 
hated it. He hated it to the point where he just had to get out of that last lifestyle and then back into the nomadic lifestyle. And so this quote really stuck with me because that was exactly the thought that I was thinking when I was working my super stressful job before I quit. I didn't think that anybody else would have this exact same thought. And from a complete different community that has nothing to do with fire, like we all came up with the same thinking, which is the American dream is broken. This whole, you need to work until you're 65, you are loyal to the company, you get a pension, you pay off your house, and then you live happily ever after. That's not true. There are so many people that don't have pensions. And even the people who are lucky enough to have the pension, they might actually die of some disease before they even get to 65. So what was it all for? Yeah, Christy, I've heard you describe a coworker who you literally watched have a heart attack at his desk and how that profoundly affected you. Oh, yeah, it was terrifying. He was working 14 hour days for three years in a row. And um, like hit, one day it was just like, oh, the ambulance came and then they had to like take him for emergency surgery and he could have died. And then the doctor said, OK, the amount of work that you're doing, the amount of stress you're putting on your body is the same as smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. He's never smoked a day in his life. And then if that wasn't bad enough, I um, actually saw him. So he was left. He left for a week. And I was like, oh, this is you know, a way to reevaluate your priorities. He's going to take a couple months off. He's going to you know, think about what's going to happen and care about his health. No, he actually just came back to work like a week after. And, and nobody batted an eye. They were just like, oh, uh, he needs to eat healthier and be healthier. Like, and then just kind of moved on with, with work and as if nothing happened. And so that's why I relate so well to this Bob Wells character from Nomadland, because we have the exact same thought. Like, why are we giving away the best years of our life for the worst years? I think that like, because I I read the book Nomadland, which is the movie follows a single character played by Francis McDermott, right? And, but the, but the book it's, but the original book that it was based on is kind of like a more journalistic thing. It follows this journalist that's going through and interviewing uh, and learning about this community from a lot of the characters that actually end up in the film. And that story that uh, Christy just told is very kind of, it's kind of like a recurring theme that shows up among some of the people there in Nomad in, in Nomadland too. There's something about a near-death experience that really kind of cuts through the BS and clarifies like what's really important. And a lot of them kind of realize, hey, wait a minute, why am I like why like why am I risking my life for a mortgage? So the so something that both of us really like about this community as well as the digital nomad community which has a lot of a lot of similar like ethos is a, a kind of an anti-status quo like thinking as well as almost invariably a very anti-real estate thinking which i guess are, are both flip sides of the same coin like the nomad land people are just like they hate real estate they just see it as a prison right and i think that's why they, they go out and live in their vans and they call it real estate yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> real estate it's, i like that yeah i know yeah Again, coming from completely different economic reasons for doing so, but they're just like disgust with real estate really resonated with us. This whole idea almost of reclaiming your identity in one sense from freeing yourself from work life, also maybe from freeing yourself from this real estate issue. Bryce, I want to quote something that Christy wrote in her post because I found it interesting. She said when she was describing the main character, Francis McDormand or Fern in Nomad Life, she says, She becomes a nomad not only as a financial solution, but also as a way to heal from loss and reclaim her identity. I feel like we talked about the reclaim her identity part, but what about healing from loss? And I'm wondering if you guys experienced that as you took on the financial independence lifestyle and started traveling. Was there a loss that you needed to heal from? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, like our our initial identity, I mean, like a lot of us kind of 
associate our identity identity with our job, right? Like, what do people say when they meet you? Like, what do you like? So when you when you meet people in like normal quote unquote life, they the first they go, oh hi, I'm Bryce, or like, what do you do, right? When you're traveling, they don't ask you what do you do. They ask you where have you been and where are you going. So it's like the the what the thinking of like the thinking of these, and that kind of really shows you how this community identifies identity and it has it, it decouples it from your profession like it's just like because the people in nomad land their 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 professions changed like not even like year by year but like over the course of the month so the question of like what do you do it's kind of meaningless as just like the same as, as as with us like at certain various points we're writing a blog we're writing a book we're like doing all this like movie stuff or tv stuff but at the end of the day their identity was based off being a traveler and being a nomad rather than being a you know systems analyst or whatever. I also want to emphasize the healing from loss, the healing part, because I have a personal journey that I went on that I wasn't expecting as a result of financial independence. Um, so one of the things that happened with me is that I, ha- I had a very bad relationship with my mother because as a result of growing up poor, like she worked a lot of odd jobs. So as a result, she was very stressed and she got laid off a lot. So, you know, when you're, when you're trying to deal with a kid and you have, like my dad was, you know, in Canada the time. So just me and her in China. So there was a lot of like verbal and physical abuse that I had to struggle through for most of my life. And then that really broke down our relationship. And while I was working, there was really no time to fix the relationship. It was really just like, go home because I'm like a devoted daughter, because that's part of the culture and just yell at my mom. She yells back at me. We have big fights. Bryce escapes to the upstairs bedroom with a uh, bottle of tequila. And then (laughs) we spend the weekend there yelling at each other. And then I go back home. um, And then I try to recover for the next two weeks from my emotional trauma. So that, that just repeats itself over and over again. And then at the time, Bryce is like, why do you keep putting yourself through this? Like, this is, you just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And I honestly did not have any time to think about it. It was just really like work, stress, go home, uh, do your thing, be the devoted daughter that you're supposed to be. And then just the cycle repeats itself. It wasn't until I actually retired and had the time to think about it and also put an ocean between me and my mother. (laughs) Subconsciously that actually happened. I didn't like go out to do that, but that is actually a result of us traveling. That distance actually gave us time to, to heal and and talk about it. At first, like it was, it it made my relationship worse at the beginning because my dad was like, what are you doing? You're insane. And he kept sending me emails every single month saying like, you need to get back to work. You don't have enough money. You're going to die broke. Here's a list of jobs that I have found for you. Get back to work. So initially it was bad, but like over time, as they could see that I'm less stressed, I'm a lot happier. This financial independence is actually the way to go because they could see how stressed I was at work compared to now I'm so much healthier and healthier and happier. And now with, as a result of the pandemic, I actually had time to like really ask my mom, like what her history was and kind of go through the generational trauma that actually was passed down to me because it was she was also abused as well. It's the same thing. To be able to have the time for that and to heal that relationship, I never thought that that would happen in a million years. But now our relationship is so much better. Like I actually went home recently to see her and we didn't fight at all <laughs> for the first time in like 30 years. So I think that there's just giving that room to have time to heal your relationships is a big part of getting your finances in order. It's not just about oh, greed. And like, I need to have this much money. It's about having the tool to take care of the bills so that you're not stressed out. So you actually have time to heal your relationships. Bryce, I love the term you used decoupling, because as I'm listening to Christy talk about her mom, this idea of kind of decoupling from what you do for a living, decoupling from what you own, and you're kind of left with who you are and what relationships are important. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like at the, at the end of the day, I mean, like money is, is an, a number on, on a spreadsheet somewhere. Right. And when people obsess over that because they have to out of a, out of a, out of a feeling of survival, they don't really have time to think about what it is that they are rather than over, over than what it is that they do or what they own. Right. Cause those things are fleeting, right. They, and when those things are taken and not to say that they're not important, but once they are taken care of, they become less important. And then what you're left with is your relationships. And you kind of realize that if you have all the possessions and you have this great job title, but you don't have the, you don't have the relationships, it's not, it's kind of a pyrrhic victory, right? Like you've sacrificed all of that stuff for something that really isn't that important at the end of your life. And because at the end of your life, the, the other stuff is way more important. So it's like, it's, and the thing is, that stuff takes time to work on. It's not something that you can just be like, I'll neglect it until like the day before I die and fix everything with my parents. Because you don't like, you know, you know, some of your readers might know from what I've talked about my blog that, that my dad has been going through some health issues and uh, some pretty serious health issues. And none of us kind of, none of us know when our, when the last, how much time we have with our parents, with our loved ones, with our, with our spouse. So if you keep neglecting that and pushing that forward, eventually you're going to run into a situation that actually her mom ran into, which is, which is you know, that relationship ended or somebody, you know, you lost somebody, but, and you left that relationship in a very bad place and now you can't fix it. And that's a really, really bad, heartbreaking place to be in. And I'm glad that we're no longer going to be in that situation, but we were, you know, especially for Christy heading into that because we never really had the time to think about it. Bryce, when I hear you talk about time and, and its necessity in dealing with these issues, I feel like that's very much at home with my ideas of things like financial independence. Something about nomad land and even your story makes me come to this idea of not just time, but distance, maybe becoming part of the geography of getting out and being in the world. Is it more than just time? I mean, what is it that the nomadic life does, which adds on to just what a normal fire person would do, which is make enough money so they can stop working? I think for me, and uh, Christy can answer after this and, and her thoughts, but I think for me, it's not just distance is perspective because when you um, live and when you're kind of like trapped in the matrix and you kind of live with all the people that are also in the matrix, everyone around you is like, well, this is just how things are. This is just how the way that things are supposed to be. It's supposed to be this tough. You're supposed to be in this much debt. This is just what the part of growing up. And when we started traveling and we started and we started like living in all these different countries, we realized, oh, wait a minute, like that's not true for most of the most of the world. So, so you know, real estate is a good example of this, because here in Toronto and in a lot of cities and in, in, in the part of North American culture and definitely Chinese culture, owning a real estate is a non-negotiable part of growing up. Right? <laughs> it's just like if you don't do that, then you don't grow up. Right. But when you end up spending time. Time in, in a lot of cities in like Europe or even Asia, like that, that's not Asia's a you know, Southeast Asia more, more so. But like Germany, for example. Germany's a good example that where renting is not considered abnormal. In fact, it's actually kind of like that's kind of like the default. Owning is seen as like a headache because there's so many this like it's 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 kind of like seen as like a big burden that you would that people have to do and it's like oh well I don't want that I want freedom right so uh, when I started doing that then and and then of course seeing some of these other communities like the digital nomads like these nomad land people where they where they not only ran away from real estate and they didn't you know die in the in the gutter because they didn't have that they thrived and they're like oh this is much better it kind of gave me it, it kind of gave me you know some more confidence that, Hey, maybe I'm onto something here. Maybe I'm not the only, cause I'm not the only one calling BS on all this, on, on all this um, 
baggage that's kind of around me, forcing us all to do these things that we really don't want to do, but feel like we have to do. And then I, I, I go out and find all these people living all sorts of different types of lifestyle. Some of them are like us. We move from Airbnb to Airbnb. Some of them get into like a Gulfstream jet and they, they, they live on that. Some of them live on a boat, you know, some of them, like there's all these sort of, sort of different ways of living and they're, they're happy and, and, you know, all the more power to them. And then they've kind of made me kind of go, Oh, okay. Well, again, that's the perspective that you get from just seeing how other people live. Cause when you're stuck in one city, you're surrounded by people who are exactly like you. And as a result, nobody grows. The thing that blew my mind about, like, because you mentioned the distance and the journey, the thing that blew my mind about Nomadland that it really resonated with me was the fact that she, like the main character, so her character, the character's name is Fern, and uh, she gets offered places to live permanently, and she rejects them multiple times. And what you realize is that she's not running away from anything. Like the traveling is part of her identity and she loves being an explorer. And it's the journey that matters, not the end goal. And I think that's a really good allegory for life. Like life is not about, oh, okay, I'm now going to be happy because I'm going to get this promotion. I'm going to buy this house and I'm going to be happy forever. No, it's not about a destination. It's about the journey because life itself is uh, composed of many, many moments. And each of those moments are special. And it's about living life and not just trying to achieve something all the time. And I think that's like the biggest takeaway we got from becoming FI and then life after FI is the fact that life is really about the moments and you really have to be happy with learning how to exist for like learning to live for the uh, relationships that you have, the moments that you have, instead of constantly trying to strive, because that's just a treadmill that never, ever ends. Like as soon as you get to the top of one ladder, then it's going to be the next ladder, then it's going to be the next ladder and it never ends. Let's take a short break. Bryce Lung and Christy Shen are the writers behind Millennial Revolution. Their most recent book is Quit Like a Millionaire, No Gimmicks, Luck, or Trust Fund Required. This is Doc G, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is... There's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. 
That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. On this episode, we'd like to give a shout out to Unify Money. The big banks spend billions of dollars on advertising each year and create special acquisition incentives and promotions to attract new customers. And you know why? Because they have to. Because they offer very poor value for customers' deposits. The separate accounts and functions make it purposefully complex to manage money. All these expenses, advertising, branch costs, etc., have to be paid for. Unfortunately, it's the customers that foot the bill through low interest rates and high fees. A typical bank retains over 90% of what they make from people's money. Unify Money aims to give 90% of the money back to users. It has been created to provide people with a better way to manage their money. Unify Money offers a single solution that includes everything you need for everyday money management, including saving, spending, and investing. Unify Money has optimized your personal financial management to make it effortless, maximizing passive income via interest and cash back and creating long-term financial assets through investment automatically and by default. Unify Money makes your money work for you, not the bank. If you want to learn more, check it out. Go to earnandinvest.com slash unify. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash U-N-I-F-I and check them out. Welcome back. Bryce and Christy are the writers behind the ever-popular platform Millennial Revolution and left corporate life in their early 30s to live a more nomadic existence. Christy, one of the ways in which you related to this movie is the portrayal of the American dream script. Another wonderful quote from Bob Wells from Nomadland. From a young age, people in the Western world are taught that living a quality life means getting a job, raising a family, buying successively bigger homes, and working most of your life to enjoy retirement in your final decades. That's a quality life. That's what we're told. And that's just one great, big, enormous lie. Is the American dream script broken? I think the way that people, the thing is like people are attaching to this dream from this, this advice that our parents gave us from many, many years ago. And it may have worked back then, but it doesn't work anymore because things are different. Like when the world changes, you have to change the advice. You have to rewrite your own rule book because what we've been told is now a lie because it's no longer true. For example, oh, you can buy a house and it's going to be three or four times your salary and then live happily ever after. No. If you live in an expensive city like Toronto, it's like 11 to 15 times your annual salary. And depending on your annual salary, it could be completely out of reach for most people. And then that, that whole idea that you could get one job and then be loyal to your company and then they're going to take care of you. Maybe that worked 50 years ago, but that's not true anymore. There's so many people that are struggling with gig, um, the gig economy, part-time jobs. Employers are taking advantage of their employees by changing them from full-time to contract work so they don't have to pay benefits anymore. Just this idea that, okay, we have this one piece of advice that worked many, many years ago, and we should stick to that advice forever. No, life changes. Situations change. We need to revise it so that it makes sense for the current environment. Yeah, when I read that Bob Wells quote, I was like, hey, isn't that exactly what you said in Playing With Fire? And then she was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> almost like almost verbatim with like yeah. the same like, the rhythm and everything yeah. like that. And I'm yeah. like, I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the pandemic kind of threw the American dream script a curveball, didn't it, Bryce? Because I mean, oh, yeah. even if you had bought into that kind of typical way of working, everything changed on a button. 
Yeah. And the thing is, they keep saying this is a once in a generation pandemic, but I've heard what this is a once in a generation thing, like three or four times now in, you know, since I've been working is like a 2000, you know, 9-11, that was a once in a generation thing to 2008. That was a once in a generation thing. The dot-com crash, that was you know, like that recession, the dot-com crash. And then now this is like, oh, it's a once in a generation thing. So it's like, it just seems like the, these kinds of unexpected, like random events that just blow everything up are starting to happen with regularity around every five to 10 years. And you can't tell exactly when it's going to happen. And the next one, whatever that is, is going to be complete. No one's going to see it coming. No one's going to, at the beginning of 2020, we were just coming off of a clicking hot 2019 year on the stock market. And I, and I, I think I wrote in the blog, I was like, you know, 2020, there's something, something's going to, like something will likely happen. We'll probably have like at least a cooling off period, maybe a bit of a, maybe a bit of a contraction. It'll probably have something to do with the election. You know, Trump's going to do something crazy. A pretty safe bet at that at that time. Nobody in a million years could have predicted that we'd all be locked away, we'd be locked away in our basement for 16 months, and then Trump gets COVID, right? I mean, like I don't, like, I don't, <laughs> my wildest fever dreams, I could have never predicted that. And the thing is, the next one is going to be just as unexpected. So the idea of so it really just kind of shows. Like we were talking earlier before we started about like you know what like what's the future movement of the fire uh, what's the future direction of the fire movement, just kind of. If anything, I think it just kind of proves the underlying like tenets of, of the fire movement, which is don't trust your employer. Don't trust your employer to have your back because you know what? Something could happen to them that had, they have no, they're not even trying to be mean or anything like that. Like if you were like, we have a friend of ours that was like a, a flight attendant and she just got complete, everybody got furloughed. Everybody got laid off. It didn't matter what your seniority was. It didn't matter what you had, like how well you did. It didn't matter how much you like your supervisor. Everyone got screwed. And if you don't prepare, and there's only two pe- types of people that you can be in that situation. Those that saw it coming and prepared for it. And those that are caught like in those are caught like with their pants down. And those people were having a really, really tough time. Chrissy, let's pivot to the story a little more of nomad land. If you think about typical hashtag nomadic life, right? We almost put a little bit of glamor into the idea, but anyone who's watched this film kind of looks at Fern, the main character and you know, there's a, a good deal of melancholy there, right? I mean, I feel like it's a much more nuanced look of both the joy and discovery, but also some of the sadness of her journey. Do you look at that movie and say that what she was doing was glamorous and, and compare that to kind of what you guys have done, which I think is a little different? It's actually quite interesting because it's a very divisive movie. Like some people will see it as, oh, this is so depressing. And then other people will say like, this is so uplifting, right? So it really depends on which camp you're in. And there's different ways to look at it. I, I like the honesty of how they show nomadic life, not so much as van life, which is like, look how glamorous I am. And there's obviously downsides to that lifestyle, just like there's downsides to every lifestyle. Like she has to worry about safety. She has to worry about where she's going to park. She has to worry about the bathroom situation. There's always going to be ups and downs. But like I saw it more of a more uplifting from my point of view, because there is a lot of camaraderie that comes from that. Like all the different people in that community were helping each other, not just with um, their car troubles, but being able to help each other with their grief. And, you know, that, that whole saying of like, I'll see you later. It's not goodbye. I love that. That's, that's beautiful. Like it doesn't matter how bad your situation is. um, They find a way to help each other to get through it. Another takeaway that I had of this movie that I don't think it's, 
a lot of other people's takeaways is because we were able to travel to Southeast Asia and actually see retirees who decided to retire overseas because they had pensions, but the pensions were not enough to live on, like back in the UK or back in the United States. Like our, our discussion was like, okay, well, they gave us some numbers about like, you know, you can, you get like a thousand dollars a month from your pension and then you, that's enough for you to live in your car. I'm like, or you could go to Southeast Asia and get a pool and get massages every other day for a thousand yeah, without yeah. living in your car. I'm pretty sure you were the only one that, that, that watched that movie and said, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's like, come on, Fern, move to Asia. Go to Chiang Mai. There's to- tons of other people living on less than that. Like, they have a pool. So that would be interesting because they, the, 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 the nomad land people, the, the 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 van lifers, they understand that you can get cheaper, the, that you can live on a fraction of what it costs to live in a city by moving around and and living in in a, in a trailer and this kind of stuff. If you extend that to then international like travel, like the, it would probably blow their minds at how how their quality of life, how they could get like a luxurious quality of life or even less less than they're spending doing their van life thing. Yeah, we met an enclave of people from UK, Scotland the United States, they're all retirees in their 60s and 70s. They're all living in Cambodia. Their rent was $100 a month and they were eating out every day and every meal was $2. So, so. Like, yeah, this is kind of why we love, we, we love meeting up with these groups because it's, it's, it's so far it's been the you know, fire community that we've, as we've traveled, the digital nomads. So these are the guys that go off and, you know, start up businesses on Amazon and then live in Southeast Asia and on the laptops, the world schoolers who, who have figured out how to school their children while traveling. And now the nomad land people, and we're all kind of like are comparing notes and we're kind of seeing, and we're now able to kind of see, okay, well, what works for you? What doesn't, what, 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 what can we offer you? And what can you like, what tips can we swap and this kind of stuff that, that always, I find very interesting because again, those four groups will have, have, will have nothing to do with each other. They start off from a very, very different place. And they're even going into this nomad nomadic travel lifestyle for very, very different reasons. But yet here we all are. And it's like, what can we learn from each other? That's why, you know, that's why I love about traveling, meeting again, meeting different organizations and, and communities and then, you know, seeing what, seeing what they're, how they're living their life. And it's endlessly fascinating to me. I was about to ask Christy, when you saw Nomadland, did the people portrayed there fit into your previous conception of kind of like the van life or nomadic life that you had previously? I think our only, what, what we knew about van life was really just the Instagram um, influencers, like taking fancy videos of them, like next to their van or posing in like in front of a beach and things like that. So I, I didn't actually know that there was like a group of retirees who were also doing this. So that, that was more surprising. I thought it was a pretty honest portrayal that it's not just for, like, it's not just this glamorous thing. Some people have to do that out of necessity. So I thought that was pretty eye-opening. Bryce, the other thing I found really interesting about this movie was this conception of community. And I really think Nomadland stretches that concept of both being with people and also being alone at the same time. I was really touched by the kind of feeling both for the main character, Fern. Did did you connect with that sentiment of, of being with people, but then also being separate? You do sort of get that when you are traveling, because like, especially as a single person, it's very difficult to form like kind of like a long term, especially romantic relationship. Not that I've tried, you know, <laughs> other people who are traveling alone, they, they do kind of feel that aloneness a little bit more. What really struck me about Nomadland is how is something that is interesting about them is that they are they are naturally kind of introverted people. Right. Like the, the people that would they would go to this this Chautauqua like conference every year. I believe it's called the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous. The, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that was yeah. it. 
yeah, it has some kind of like a like like whatever. But even uh, but even then, it was like very similar to uh, should talk about uh, in in terms of some of the like people would give talks and people would see each, uh, and people would meet up and like have like cookouts and like this kind of stuff. But they also kind of value their 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 privacy and a lot of these because a lot of these people are very introverted people. Otherwise, they wouldn't be okay with just being like 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 living alone in their trailer for like months at a months at a time of a year. So it showed me that even the most introverted person still needs that community. Like no matter how much you think that you're like a like um like an island or something like that, everybody kind of needs that community. And if you don't have that, then it, that's what makes this thing become unsustainable because eventually the loneliness will get to you. And uh, and that was a really refreshing kind of thing that they depicted because it wasn't just about it wasn't just about all these weird loners off in the desert. No, they have their own community. They can be alone, but they like they value their aloneness, but they also value the community because they help each other when they need to be. And they leave each other alone when they need to be. I think in the in the book, the reporter that is the narrator of the book goes to the first front rubber tramp rendezvous, and she sees somebody with like who made a T-shirt that goes, "I'm an introvert, and I'm really really uncomfortable by uh, uh, being here. Please don't touch me." And then people would be like, <laughs> uh, you know, like I get, I totally get it, right? I, I totally, you know. <laughs> Christy, you mentioned in your blog post this idea of there are settlers and there are travelers, and I think. A part of that philosophy is that we, those of us who are settlers, tend to think travelers are lost souls. I mean, do we get it wrong? This is the thing that that was quite interesting because it kind of like watching the movie really kind of validated what I was thinking about travel, which is, yeah, a lot of our family members and friends that are settlers, they're just like, oh, oh, you're going again. Okay. Did you find yourself this time? What did you find? They don't understand that it's not about finding yourself. It's the process of travel and discovery that is part of our identity that we can't actually take away. So I, it's like, I mean, for us, it's weird to see people settle down. So it goes the other way too. We're like, why the heck would you want to live in the same place for 25 years? I would be so bored. So, you know, everybody has their own view of how, what a good life is, which just goes to show that if you, if you customize your life to the way that you want to live, you'll be a lot happier rather than just go along the herd because whatever the herd is doing may not be uh, right for your identity. I mean, there are people who actually really like settling down. That's fine. And there are people who actually like traveling and that's part of their identity. They love discovery and there's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. Uh, Nomadland is, is one of these really interesting movies that I always love, which is they bifurcate the audience, right? Like like half of it, it's, it's kind of like that. Remember that blue dress gold? dress thing <laughs> yeah. yeah on the internet where different <laughs> yeah, people I, I, saw I, I, different I, colors yeah yeah that that was weird i still don't understand why people saw different colors but like half the people saw a gold dress and half people saw blue dress and then they they started like like going like what are you talking about so nomadland is also one of these bifurcating movies where half of the audience kind of interprets it in one way being like all oh, these poor lost souls and the other half saying like this is a great idea like how freeing is this i mean it's not like like Batman versus Superman, where everyone has the same reaction, which is, well, that was a waste of time. But like, <laughs> but like, it that's was. what makes it really <laughs> exactly. See, see, we all have quorum here. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but No Man's Land is really interesting. It's one of those really interesting movies where it generates discussion because people depend, people see interpret it very differently, and how they interpret it is kind of a sign of who they are. It's not, there's no one wrong way or right way to interpret it. It just kind of, it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like a litmus test. So it's like a friend filter. You just show the movie and then you find your people or you don't find your people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that, that it's a litmus test because the way people see this movie 
is through one of two different lenses. Uh-huh. Uh, but I would, what I think isn't arguable is how beautifully done the movie was and how much care the scenery, the acting, and the complexity of the emotions were portrayed. So I would say regardless of which lens you look at the nomad life through, it's still very reasonable to watch the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bryce, I mean, now we are coming hopefully out of a pandemic. The world has changed, probably changed quite a bit from when the book was written and certainly when the movie was being filmed. Is the nomad life as viable today as it was five years ago? Oh, if anything, I think it's even more viable because like when we were, because again, working from home is now seen as a much more acceptable thing to do. Not, I, I get that not every job can work from home, nor does everybody want to work from to work remotely. I suspect that businesses open up and, and employers recall people back to the office. Some are going to say like, okay, everyone come back to the office, but some will kind of, some positions will remain permanently permanently nomadic, right? Like you can be like, okay, if you want you know, 25% of the people, if you want to work from home, that's fine. And, and that's going to become a lot more socially acceptable childcare. And also as I, you know, as, as a society, we've had to figure out how to remote remotely school our children. Some parts worked, some parts really didn't. Some parts uh, really, really didn't. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're going to, but we're going to learn from that. And we're going to, and, and I suspect that a lot of school boards are going to have like, like a permanent remote learning, like component to their schools, if you so choose. So now what I'm, ex- what I'm thinking is that the support for people who want to be nomadic is going to be naturally, like naturally just like been, will be established because of what we've all had to be, had to go through. So yeah, I, I see the nomadic life as being, if anything, like a ringing endorsement of what we, what happened here, because the people like Toronto is a good example of this, where we were able to, because we were nomadic and even now, even though we're in one city, every month we change departments, every, like every month or two, we change departments. And, and because we were able to do that, we were able to ride the rental uh, prices, like all the way down as rents were like being cut because everyone was fleeing the city. So nomadicism, even during a pandemic turned out to be a really, really good idea despite the fact that you would think now we're locked down and now everyone has to stay inside their house. You can't be nomadic anymore, but it still works because nomadicism is flexibility and flexibility. When there's, whenever there's like a a disaster or a natural something like that, the people who can pack up everything and then be out the door in five minutes with like all the stuff on their back and be totally fine. Those are the guys that get out ahead. I also think that there's going to be a lot more jobs in tech, which allows you to be remote. I read an article recently about someone who was collecting government benefits because he was a bartender and he got let go during the pandemic. But then as a result of that, he started to look around and see like, maybe I can convert my job to something remote. And he actually found a program that was training people to be tech specialists and getting paid to actually be trained for three to four months. So he actually went from becoming, he went from being a bartender to an IT specialist because as a result of the pandemic, more and more stores have to become online and they have to have a lot more digital services, which requires a lot of people to support um, these online businesses and online websites. So I think there's going to be a huge opportunity for people to maybe if they've never thought about having a job that is remote, finding, finding a job in tech because they have no experience, there's going to be an explosion of demand for that. And maybe you actually get paid to train to switch into that field, which allows you to be even more nomadic. I'm actually super curious from your perspective, like what's going to happen in the medical field? Because one of the, because like in the digital nomad space, it's heavily, heavily, heavily uh, tech people for obvious reasons, right? I, I almost never saw anyone in the medical field 
I saw like there was like one lady who was a radiologist and she was able to do everything remotely because she just she looks at the, the she looks at the scan and then she puts in her notes. But everyone else is just kind of well, if you're a doctor, you have to be close to the hospital or the clinic or whatever. And this 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 past 16 months has basically all doctors have had to, except for like maybe ER or something like that, have basically been forced to be to become nomadic. And nobody thought that, that was possible. But all the doctor's appointments that we've been through have been over on Zoom, over on the phone, yeah. like we go into we go into a lab to get lab work done, like you know blood taken or whatever. They put it into their system, and then it gets then it gets emailed to the doctor, and then they you know. So it's like even the medical field was forced to completely reform. And I'm kind of curious as to whether you think that's going to be a continuing force going forward. I definitely do. The pandemic forced legislative change that was slow moving up to that point. So how could you bill for your time? How could you document? And then the other issue was licensure. Up till very recently, licensure was just state dependent. So could you be speaking to a patient in another state and still be legal? It was a big problem. You would have to get licenses in all 50 states. It was a big hassle. So the pandemic pushed all of this forward, and I think it will change the practice of medicine for the long term. I work in hospice and palliative care. I don't do direct patient care, but I have meetings every week. And up until the pandemic, they were always in person. We've now gone to a completely virtual landscape. And I see even a lot of practicing docs moving towards telehealth. And the legislation has changed enough to support it. So I think it's going to be easier and easier in the future. And we're going to definitely see more of it, which I think is good in the end for consumers because consumers will have the choice. If they want to jump on the computer and see a doctor, they can. If they don't feel comfortable with that, they can go ahead and see someone in person. And I think the more choice available, the more legal options we have as physicians to utilize our skills, the better. Would you continue doing the telehealth thing or do you, or do you, do you miss going in to see like the, the patients? You know, I think it's a mix of both. I, I, mix, I miss seeing people's faces and the connection you get. There's a part of healthcare that's delivered in padded shoulders and held hands and being with people, right? And so doctors have always done a good job of trying to push that off on everyone else from nurses to patient assistants to whatever. But the truth of the matter is there is nothing like that feeling of having your doctor walk in the room, hold your hand and be with you. And that's a part of the healing process, just as much as prescribing medicines and, and the rest that we do. So as with everything, I think telehealth has its place. But I also think that we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, that we also have to be sensitive to the fact that being with people has its own healing powers. And that's important. Let me reintroduce you. Bryce Lung and Christy Shen are the writers behind Millennial Revolution. Their most recent book is Quit Like a Millionaire, No Gimmicks, Luck, or Trust Fund Required. We will be back in a moment. This is Earn and Invest. If you've been listening to this show and trying to figure out how do I increase my top line, one way is through real estate. And when I want to learn more about real estate, one of my favorite places to go is the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. This podcast is all about how to use real estate as an asset class to get ahead 
towards financial independence. There are two types of episodes, one in which the coach himself gives you all the tips and tricks on how to make money in real estate. The other is where he has guests, proof of concept, real life examples of people out there like you and I making real estate work towards their financial independence plan. It is a wonderful podcast. I hope you check it out. Go to coachcarson.com. Again, that's coachcarson.com. Take a listen. You won't regret it. Welcome back. Bryce and Christy are the writers behind the ever-popular platform Millennial Revolution and left corporate life in their early 30s to live a more nomadic existence. Christy, let's compare and contrast your life to Fern's life, the main character in Nomadland. She came upon this world in somewhat economic distress. On the other hand, you guys came upon this world with, with some wealth and some economic excess. How does it feel different, do you think? Interestingly enough, I can actually relate to some of the economic economic distress because even though we came upon this with while we were like pretty wealthy and working really good jobs, I grew up in abject poverty in China. So that scene with her like crapping in the bucket, I was like, hey, this is like my childhood. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, this takes me back. And Bryce is like, say, stop talking she about did this. Say that. I get okay. <laughs> Anyone that knows me knows that I get grossed out easily. And they and and she just loves to throw it in my face. Yeah, I've been trying to get him to to come to China visit China when everything's open and go to a squat toilet with me and go back to my village. And he's for some reason he's not on board. I don't understand yeah, I'm why. Not a fan. No, we'll get you some adult diapers. It'll be great. Great. Yeah, well, Bryce, anyway. Bryce I, I connect with you on that, right? So I'm watching this movie, and there are certainly parts that I'm like, okay, that doesn't look the most comfortable for me. After coming out of watching Nomad Land, where there are parts where you're like, okay, I'm definitely never going to do that. Yeah, the crapping in the bucket part, that that wasn't <laughs> my... Uh, you know what? The the whole van life thing was very interesting and to me because there are some countries out there, like Australia is, for example, a great place to do camper van stuff because it's so it's it, there's so much like like wide open space out there and not a lot of like and there's like a lot of a lot of interesting road trips that you could take i think the part that i keep that i, I keeps holding me back is the toilet situation <laughs> I, i'm right there with you the toilet yeah. situation kind of freaks me out too christy anything that you saw and you were like okay i'm not doing that <laughs> not really <laughs> to me i was like oh that's that sounds not that that's bad normal. yeah like i don't know i I think like what to touch upon what Bryce was saying about traveling gives you perspective. Well, growing up in another country definitely gives you perspective. So like for me, I'm like, ah, it doesn't seem so bad. But I, I support the whole idea of we could do something like that, but you know, in in an Airbnb. <laughs> in the Airbnb, yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, like there's, there's certain like there's there's different styles of I might explore this later on because there's certain styles of camper vanning that involve going from campsite to campsite where there were like you know, washroom facilities. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know that stuff that well to comment on it. But hey, there's, uh, you know, interesting stuff like that, too. I mean, like, it's a similar kind of situation for people who are, you know, there's a there's a nautical fire, if that makes any sense, right, where people are getting oh, like, boat. like yeah. getting on a boat and sailing around the world and they're living permanently on the boat. I know a few people like that. It's, it sounds like a really cool lifestyle. But it's, it's a whole wide world open, uh, wide open world out there. And I'm, it's like, yeah, it's just a very interesting kind of I, I think the obstacle to us for van life is not the bathroom part. It's the driving because we've had to drive for the first time in Toronto just to like get go to the we like rented a car to go to get like a COVID test before we went to see his dad. And we almost got a divorce driving in Toronto. <laughs> it was absolute 
chaos. Like, I, we, we were just screaming at each other. We had to pull out to the part of the road, like to the side of the road, because I was like so scared the way that he was driving, and he hated the way he hated the way I was navigating. And Toronto is basically this this crazy obstacle course that you have to solve while like driving at breakneck speed, and then all these other people like the bikes running in front of you, and then other cars stopping suddenly, and then other cars trying to. Yeah, it, it's not fun. <laughs> I don't think we're gonna. Do well driving for you know days on end well, without killing each other. Well, no, no, no. Dr- driving like driving. I think cross country, like out of the cities, is a little bit different from trying to survive Manhattan. I sure, hope so. Like, yeah. Yep. I, I was about to say you heard it here first. Bryce and Christy are going to be the first nomadic people who hire a driver to take them around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might work. Yeah, sure. <laughs> So, Christy, after watching the movie, was there any thought like, boy, I really wish I had done this earlier? Like, why did I wait till I was in my 30s? I could have done this in my 20s. I could have left work a lot earlier than I did. You know, I do think about that quite a bit because after we left, it wasn't even from the movie. I thought about this before I even watched the movie. It was a lot of like just traveling and going, hey, there's a lot of people out here who are not even FI. They're they're digital nomads. They work online. They make an income um, as authors or developers and they're perfectly happy. So why was I so scared having a million dollar portfolio and thinking, oh, I'm going to jump off a cliff. And even though I hated my job, giving my notice, I was having a panic attack the same day. So yeah, there's a lot of like, yeah, I could have done this way earlier. It's not that scary at all. But your your brain builds up the fear, right? Because it's the fear of the unknown. Like whatever it, you're, the situation you're going to be in is a lot scarier than what you think it's going to be because you think of all the bad things that are going to happen. You never think of any good things that are going to happen, at least not my brain because it's super pessimistic. So yeah, I have I have thought of that. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. Uh, well, I mean, like, yeah, you're right. I mean, like when we started looking, breaking down the math of how little it costs to live in a van, it starts to kind of make fire a lot more... When, you know, when people write into us, a lot of the time it's like, oh, if you keep going at this rate or make this little change, you'll get there in like five years, maybe like seven years, like that kind of stuff. But if you make a change like, oh, you know, if you're okay with living in a van, like not even like a crappy van, but like a luxury van with heated leather seats or whatever, like you could do it like tomorrow kind of stuff. Right. And that's some of the, that now we're starting to like, as I do case studies, I'm starting to say like, hey, if you want to do this, you could like, if you don't want to wait 10 years, this is also an option. It's not for everybody, but that's, but that's, you know, possible. And uh, yeah, that's part of why I, when people kind of ask, like, talk to us about like, oh, how do you, how do you deal with the fear and this kind of stuff? I always tell them, go out and find people who are living a lifestyle that you kind that, that sounds like it could be compatible with you. Cause then, then you can really see that it is possible, see how much it costs, see how, you know, see how not easy, but how not impossible it is. You'll be surprised by like how many different ways to live there are. Because when, if you, if you think life is just really, really expensive, you probably live in a big city and you've never really spent much time outside of it. And, and you know, as, as I travel out more, I, I find that there's, again, all sorts of different ways to live. Like we just did a case study where somebody got to fire via pet sitting. I Okay, sure, right? It's pet sitting is like, like you've, you've probably heard of this house swapping, house sitting thing where people are on vacation and then they just need you to take, take care of their house. But like these people are, they're, they're that, they're off traveling, but they also need someone to take care of their pets while they're gone. And they're willing to not only give you free room and board, but also pay you for taking care of the pet because it's cheaper than taking the pet to a kennel. And so this person has been able to like just hop pet sitting gigs for like five continuous years. And even after a divorce where they went bankrupt, now they're like on the cusp of fire. I'm just kind of like, wow, that's a thing that I've never even heard of before. And they live on $800 a month. So that's probably lower than Fern and yeah, van living, right? So that's, that's like another way that there's 
hopefully there's another movie that gets made uh, about these uh, pet sitters that we like to call uh, Fur Baby Fire. And she doesn't have to crap in a hole. <laughs> yeah, Christy, it's a real stunning point when you think about poor Fern, right? And what she was doing to make a living and yet still finding a sense of purpose and beauty in the world. And then you have us financial independence proponents who are sitting there with seven figures and worried that we're not going to have enough to live our van life. It It also makes me want to meet Fern and do a reader case on her. I was like, okay, Fern, (laughs) let me look at this. Maybe I can get you into a pool in Southeast Asia. I feel like there's a better way to do this. Well, Fern's a fictional character, right? (laughs) Yeah, she's not real. There's got to be a Fern out there, though. There actually are, yeah. We tend to run in circles with a lot of financial independence people. Would you recommend this movie to the financial independence community and why, Bryce? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, like, it's important to kind of see that it's not people sometimes get caught up in the in the lifestyle of after fire of what the person does and then kind of think, oh, that's not for me. So like some big names in this group in in this in this in this space are Pete, Mr. Money Mustache, who likes, you know, riding around on his bike and fixing up houses. There's JL Collins who lives in Wisconsin and has his like cabin. There's us who live in like backpacks and just like travel around the world. There's Tanya. There's, there's uh, the frugal woods, people who live in like their homestead, many, 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 many different styles of, of, of fire afterwards. And I like to encourage people to think it's not about like, Oh, you have to be like Pete or you have to be like us. Like, and, and that's how the right way to do fire is. There's many, many, many different flavors of it. And if you find the one that kind of like can, that you can kind of say, hey, I could I could see myself living like that. That's the first step towards giving yourself motivation to try to get your finances in order, because there's a lot of like this mental psychological blocks of saying, I'm not like Pete. I don't like chopping wood wood in the in the forest or whatever or or so that's not for me. So I'm not even going to bother looking at my money because there's no point. And that's a really harmful way of looking at it. So no man land is just another kind of like part of the next step of like your, the financial education of, of the world. There are many ways of living out there and there's ways of doing that that are a lot cheaper yet, but still have happiness and dignity and see if it's for you. Christy, to be a little redundant here, but I think it's worth saying, you know, a lot of people watch this movie because they were interested in the nomad life, but maybe a lot of the lessons Fern teaches really transcend whether you're nomadic or not, and maybe speak a lot to what we've been kind of hitting on this whole time with financial independence. Yeah, it's it's the human condition really. It's like the she teaches you that you need to have if you have a community that gives you mission because she lost her husband, she lost her entire identity. But then she's able to find because she found camaraderie and she was able to heal because Bob Wells had also like similar kind of loss and they were able to help each other heal. There's there's that that lesson that we all need each other. It's not just, you know, you're just off by yourself as a lone wolf after you retire and then you're going to be happy forever. And then the other lesson that she teaches is that life is a journey. Life is not meant to be trying to accomplish things or get to the end of something. And then life is all about change. And it's you have to treasure every single moment because that's that's all we have as human beings. Well, we are discussing the nomad life and the book and movie Nomad Land. Bryce and Christy, I wanted to thank you for coming on today. I think so many of these lessons really do transcend the hashtag van life, hashtag nomadic <laughs> life. And are a lot about how we choose to live when we give ourselves these space and distance and freedom 
to do the things we want to do. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you both what is up next in your life. And if people want to know more about you, where they can find you online, Christy, what is up with you guys? What's happening next? Yeah. So for now, we're um, staying put in Toronto because we're still somewhat under lockdown. Going forward, after we get fully vaccinated, we might decide to go back to nomadic life, depending on which countries will actually have us, filthy, filthy Canadians. And then after that, yeah. So basically now it's it. I, we we're kind of past the point where it's like, I need to accomplish the next thing. I need to write the next book. I need to get into the next TV show or whatever. It really is about spending time with our friends and family and uh, just being happy and appreciating all that we have. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to kind of like returning back to nomadic life and, and starting back all that stuff. All, some, some of the cool stuff that we were doing that like, you know, I'm, I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to do a Chautauqua soon. Or hopefully we'll be able to see you at one of these, you know, like that, that'll be really, that'll be really awesome. Hopefully it will happen soon. But yeah, I think, I, I think we're all kind of in like in a holding pattern and we're just kind of like, and just like the rest of the world can't like chomping at the bit to like bust out of it. And after that, who knows? Yeah. But we'll- I, f- I feel like you guys have been micro nomads. So you said get back to the matic life, but you've been micro nomads and yeah. yep. getting back to being macro nomads. Exactly. Exactly. Well put. Finally get my passport out of the uh, safety department. Oh yeah. Dust off the old dust passport. The passport. <laughs> and Bryce, what's the best way for people to find you online if they want to know more? Oh, it's always our blog, millennial-revolution.com. We also have, as you mentioned, our book is in every fine place where books are sold uh, like a millionaire. And that's the best place to find us. We are, We're continuing to write and yeah, hope to see everyone out there. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Bryce and Christy. That's a wrap. We are back with Amin Lakani, the dating coach on wheels, a comedian, and yes, an organizer of singles events for the financial independence community. Amin, it's great to have you back on. These have been strange times, 2020, 2021 for dating. It isn't, you know, we were chatting right before we went live here. It isn't like it used to be before where you wanted to make sure you were dating someone who had been STD testing. Now we have this whole new layer of, have you been vaccinated? And and it's a COVID world. How has the world changed? Yeah, I think it's on top of mind for a lot of people. But as far as I know, if you're COVID vaccinated, you're pretty good. So I don't know that it's the significant factor of what makes dating weird. I think dating is just a challenge no matter. We didn't need more challenges, but yet (laughs) now we have one. Uh, So yeah, I think it also depends on the country you're in. Different countries have different vaccination rates. So, you know, I know the fire community, people date across borders a little bit more, it seems. So that might be a question. And yeah, not everybody is down with the vaccination front in the fire community even. So we're talking about the FIRE community, which is financial independence, retire early. You've been setting up a bunch of virtual events, which, as you said, the FIRE community is kind of spread out. So it makes sense. But I would imagine, too, because of the pandemic, that people are probably doing a lot more virtual meeting and greeting than before. So before the pandemic, I loved virtual stuff. And because I was like, well, I don't have to go. You don't have to put pants on, right? You can just you just go and it's easy and you can decide if it's something you want to put more time into or not. It's so easy. And I think in the pandemic, people became really accustomed to that. I feel that there's a social awkwardness now. 
I've started meeting people out in real life. And uh, I mean, people's social skills have atrophied tremendously in the past year. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder to meet up because there's so many options to do, so many good options of things to do online. So for someone to get out of their house, uh, look, you know, presentable and make it somewhere, I think it just has to be that much better. And you've been doing these virtual events for a while now. This is your second or third FI-related virtual dating event? It's our fourth, actually. We did one in January and two in February, and then took a little bit of a break. And you know, we'll be back next month, or we'll be back in June. And tell me about people's experiences with them. Did uh, Were there some connections made? Yeah, actually, I just heard the first confirmed relationship that happened from the first speed dating. So they uh, they matched and they talked for a few minutes. They had video chats for about eight weeks, met up recently, and now they are officially an item. Wow. Yeah. So let's talk about specifics. Tell us about when and where and what type of event this is going to be. Sure. It's going to be an all-virtual event. Uh, you, all you have to do is get in front of your computer like you have been anyway. So it's going to be Saturday, July 17th at 5 p.m. Eastern, which is also 9 p.m. British Standard Time and 7 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. So we're trying to make it so that everyone who wants to attend can attend and can talk to uh, people from various different locations as well. And do you have to pay to get in? Yeah. Uh, you have to pay me a million dollars because it's an amazing <laughs> service and everybody should want to do it because there's confirmed relationships and it's great. Uh, and I should profit off of that. And, and can you pay in crypto more, most importantly? Uh, no, I only, I do accept uh, Vanguard index uh, or not index funds, Vanguard ETFs, but um, uh, yeah, no, no crypto. Uh, all joking aside, is there yeah. an admission fee to be included yeah. in this event? Yeah, so it's going to be anywhere from, uh, we start at five bucks and we go up from there as the event gets closer. So yeah, I mean, not much to lose to check this out and meet some other FI people. Uh, I've heard people make friends in the same city as well. You know, it's not all about just getting to that relationship. We got a small community. Let's get to know each other and mix and mingle. And this event is open to pretty much all interests. Yeah, open to straight LGBTQ. Um, if you want to just come and hang out with the other five people, we have. We also have breakout rooms, or not breakout rooms, but we also have uh, rooms where you can go and just chat as a group, and a lot of people enjoy that as well. I know some people that came to the last one that are actually in a relationship who met uh, not at a speed dating night, but another virtual event that I did they're both in relationship with each other and they just wanted to come and hang out with us. So they came and just joined the, the rooms. And do you think in the future you'll ever do a live event? Is this the kind of thing that eventually will turn into an IRL type issue in real life? Maybe, but someone actually asked me about that. Um, uh, uh, Diana from the economy conference asked me if I would do that. And uh, I'm not super thrilled about it because Honestly, this is great. Like I just have to, for me too, effort-wise, just got to show up in front of the computer, chat with some people. If it if it clicks, you know, you 
can plan something more with that person. But if it doesn't, you don't have to waste your time schlepping somewhere, talking to all these people, going through all those awkward interactions. The great thing about this platform is after three minutes, it just cuts off. If you do nothing, it just ends the call. And that's a really nice way to not be a dick about it because people want to be polite, right? I mean, I want to be polite too. Nobody wants to say, yeah, I'm not interested. I'm going to go. That's that's really hard to say, but letting the default timeout just happen is really nice and just very efficient. So I found it helpful in that. If there's connection, you can always connect offline and explore that more if you want. And it's a speed dating format. Is it the idea that you get a certain amount of time with each person, then it moves to the next one? Yeah, you get three minutes with each person. You can extend. Uh, I find that most people don't do that because, I mean, you're not going to get a chance to talk to everybody else who's there another time. So you might as well just show up, have the three minutes. You can click on the connect button, which uh, exchanges information uh, with each other. So when you go to the after event report, you'll see who you mutually connected with, uh, and then you can follow up from there. And it sounds pretty cool because um, not just re- you know relationships like a, a boyfriend or girlfriend, but it sounds like people kind of use this to make friendships too. It's just a cool way to meet some people who have a similar interest than you do. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of Phi is very geared towards a two-person um, like household, but there's a lot of people that aren't in that, don't want to be in that, haven't found that not sure if they want that. And uh, it's that community is a bit underserved. So, and I'm, I'm a member of that community. So selfishly, I'm hoping to find someone through this as well. Right. And I'm, I would be remiss. I don't think I even asked you is that what's the name of the event? Oh yeah. It's called fire singles club. Well, if you look up fire singles club, that's the overarching brand. Cause we got to make everything big and go, go all out. Uh, and if you search that, you'll find it, but it's just called fire virtual speed dating. All right. So fire virtual speed dating, the fire singles club, it is happening mm-hmm. July 17th? 17th. Yes. At, at seven, uh, at 5. PM Eastern standard time in the U S 9. PM British standard time and 7. AM Australian Eastern standard time for those, uh, Aussies that are gonna, that are gonna, um, uh, join us. I would be, I'll be very impressed. Well, Amin, I just wanted to say thank you for putting on these events. It is a chance for us to connect virtually the easiest way. Look, you don't even got to put on pants. You should probably put on a shirt because we will see your upper half. It, it would help. I think <laughs> you'd probably have more connections that way. You probably. Yeah. But it's just another way to meet people and keep connected Check it out, the Fire Singles event. Amin Lakani, thanks for telling us about it. Thanks so much, Doc. And if you're interested in attending this awesome event, we've made a super easy link for you. Just go to earnandinvest.com slash singles. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash singles. Yay. Yay. Awesome. That was well, that a lot got, of fun. I like that, that conversation. I like, uh, got very deep. I, I, beyond me, money. Yeah, that's beyond my, well, that's my always goal. You know? Yeah, very yeah, good. That's philosophy. It, got, it got very philosophical, which I enjoy. I mean, like, I, part of me was just kind of like, should we talk about bond yields at some point? But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know me. I'm so bad at that stuff. I am like the least 
fire fire person like uh-huh. i want to know as little about bonds and investing as possible it's like okay i spent whatever 20 30 hours overtime reading books and researching over a year or two to learn about what to do with my investments and now i don't want to talk about that at all <laughs> like, you know what? Is, honestly yeah. that is very fixed like once you know the finance part there's not much else to know like it's very black and white it's the other stuff beyond fire that's like different for each person. Like you can't just be like, okay, do this. And then you'll just be happy after fire forever. No, it depends on each person. And it, there's so much to talk about in terms of all this. Like I used to call it woo-woo inner work crap <laughs> <laughs> because of fire, because of the pandemic, I'm like forced into meditating and, and figuring out life. So I was actually trying to join this uh, Vipassana course. So you go to, um, so it's like all run by volunteers and you kind of go to a temple for 10 days and it's completely silent. So no talking, no eye contact with people. It really is meditating for like eight hours a day, eating, uh, like subsisting on much, like very little food and then just reflecting and existing and learning how to meditate and exist instead of do. Um, Unfortunately, that got canceled because of the pandemic. But then according to Bryce, it's like I'm enforced Vipassana for the last year and a half because of the <laughs> pandemic. So I don't actually need to go to Vipassana anymore. Everybody's forced say, to Bri- Bryce Vipassana. can't look you in the eyes anymore. <laughs> Bring me my food. Yeah. I, I, would, I, would, I would like... You would just die. Oh, and there's like no, the no drinking, no drinking, yeah, no that, drugs. Yeah. yeah. No the, phones. Yeah. I would just go up the wall doing a Vipassana. But yeah, uh, but, uh, yeah you're right though. Like the, that, that like philosophical stuff that's a really interesting part of it because once you understand like you actually see this kind of evolution of bloggers that come in and out of the fire space where they start off talking about here's how you save money and clip your own hair uh, clip your own hair and clip coupons and this kind of stuff and then when they run out of information because eventually you'll run out of talking about index funds and then when you run out of that if, if you have nothing else to talk about then you kind of go okay what else is there to do now and then they go then they move on uh, but then uh, for us, we're finding that there's even more that there's more and more and more stuff to talk about because we're like as we are traveling, you have to be like purposeful travel, right? You can't yeah. just like you know there are some there there's some people that out there that they travel, they see the sites, and then they check off a check. They check off the yeah. checkbox. Like okay, I've been I've been back and tracking across Europe. Now what? But if you don't go out there and find and, and find interesting people to interview, find interesting communities to like learn about, then it does become kind of monotonous, um, monotonous yeah. and, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, not that interesting. So th- that's why we, we're continuing to find communities like that. That's why that attracts us Nomadland as well as the other communities um, that we kind of going to go, OK, what can we learn from them? Because we don't know. It's like as much as fire people seem to want to think that they know everything, we can't possibly know no, everything. Don't. <laughs> I know. It's shocking that we don't. Yeah, you Speak know it's yourself. so it's so funny. The financial stuff is finite, and what you call what you call the woo is is massive, right? Because what yeah. happens? What I found is you you I know me personally. Like I go through periods, right? So you go through periods where you're feeling very good and calm, and things are ordered, and then you like get to a point of dysregulation, you're like, oh, wait, now things don't feel calm and ordered anymore. And like, there's another level, right? You're like, mm-hmm. okay, I left making money as my purpose to doing X as my purpose. And then you do that for a while and you're like, okay, but there's something more than that, or there's a different direction, or there's newer people to meet, or there's, and you start going into these levels. Um, the only part that I think is misguided is if you actually want to stay fairly content through that whole process, I think it's continuous work. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all have, and this is maybe even the American dream script writes bad is you get 
almost taught that if I just get to X, I will be happy. Life will be good and I'll be content. Consumerism. Yeah. yeah. Sure. But it's, but it goes farther than that. Cause he, I mean, a lot of people have made fire that goal, right? If I just get to fire, I'm oh, going to this and then I'm okay. going to be content. And then like, okay, now I'm here. Maybe it's, I'm going to travel. Maybe it's, I'm going to do X or Y, but the point is, I think you get to these different levels and then you have to kind of go back and start reworking it and say, okay, you know, I all of a sudden feel dysregulated again, even though I'm supposed yeah. to be feeling great and everything's supposed to be in order. Okay. You know, what's a really good go movie back. for that? Have hmm. you ever seen, have you ever seen soul? No soul. It's, it's by Pixar. Yeah. So it's okay. on the Disney channel. Okay. So this, this, like a friend told me about this and I was like, kids movie, why would I watch this? But it is actually really deep. So the, the director made that movie after he, um, like he got an Oscar for one of the Pixar movies. I don't remember which one. I think it might've uh, been Inside like Out. Inside Out. Yeah. He got, yeah. He, yeah. he got like all these crazy awards and he's like, I've peaked. What do I do with my life? Yeah. And then he went on this whole personal journey. And then Soul is supposed to be a kid's movie, but it's actually very deep. It's about like mm. what happens with your career once you've peaked. And then what is, what's the meaning of life? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like very, very deep. And I read it. I'm like, oh my God, this is like such a good analogy for fire and after fire. So yeah, so, highly recommend. It's like, yeah, this guy's FI. Because because there's <laughs> actually like, uh, we are in this community, we are obsessed with the financial failure part of it. Like it was like, oh, how do you not run out of money? But there's two ways of failing. Not, okay, failing is a bad example, but like of, of, because some people go retire and then they unretire because they realize mm. I was happier back then or there's, I don't like this anymore and it's not fixing anything. There's also a psychological failure as well to that if they don't fix that other part of them because if they just, if it's just all about the spreadsheets and they don't go off and find the community, um, oh, then yeah. like, because people miss that. You can't just be happy with a spreadsheet, right? And, uh, and that's kind of what Chautauqua is. That's kind of what, and then that's kind of what Nomadland and these guys re realize too. You can't just be on an island yourself, even no matter how introvert you are, you have to find your community, you have to find your people because we are social creatures. And, um, and that's why it's so important for the fire community to have to, to, you know, to, to find each other because, you know, otherwise you start feeling like you're the weirdo and everyone else is normal. And maybe also just... what you do doesn't matter because you're not impacting a person. You're just yeah. doing yeah. random things for the sake of doing it. Yeah. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 